Pulse. You're now locked in to HBCU Pulse. We're the number one outlet for HBCU life, talking about everything that's important to our culture, from on-campus issues to politics and what's trending on the yard. We always keep that same energy. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Post and the host of HBCU Post Radio in the building for another special edition of the show on today. Where, listen, we're not on serious sim until January 2024, but we had to hop on and we had to react to the Celebration Bowl. Listen, I have on my Howard jacket I was talking about last week, Tones of Melanin. I interviewed Ashley, actually in may exclusive interview before she went on shark tank so i had i I sort of was obligated not contractually but just by moral law i had to get a tones melanin jacket and i I got some more to start too i I bought out black friday but like listen listen the team i'm I'm wearing the team that we have a radio show on their station they didn't win (laughs) damn you won the celebration bowl so listen ariel is gonna be back really soon so i had to bring flicks back Cause I know Flix was watching me. My boy Flix had to set up in the car. He was in like the limousine, the Bentley. He in California. So he was on the red carpet just, just watching the celebration ball, man. Flix, how you doing? Hey, man. Uh, good to be back, man. A great championship matchup. You know, you mentioned Howard. They look good in the first half. You know, if only they could have that translate to the second half, they probably would have left with a W. Yeah, man. Listen, it, it was a good game. I'm going to say this before we start. Like, I think that for some of us, the celebration bowl from last year spoiled us because, like, you had two of the best HBCU quarterbacks at that time going against each other. You had Shador, you know, with Jackson State, and then you had Davius Richard. So that quarterback play was on 10, and then you had a 41-34 game. The game was higher scoring than I thought it would be, but it sort of went the way that I thought it would because the defense was more so the heroes in this sense versus it being an offensive shootout. But FAMU wins 30 to 26. They finally get that celebration bowl that has eluded them. Really, I would say since 2019 when they had a phenomenal season, but NCAA situations made it where they couldn't make the celebration bowl, even though they beat North Carolina A&T in 2019. So they finally got it. Rattler Nation was there. They called Atlanta Rattler North. Vice President Kamala Harris was there. Cam Newton was there. Man, the NCAA president was there. Notice he wasn't at the playoff games, okay? Notice he wasn't at the other bowl games. He was at the Celebration Bowl kicking it with the black folks, okay? So, listen, give me your initial reaction to FAMU's win in the Celebration Bowl over Howard. Uh, I will say it was a pretty good football game. It was filled with turnovers, though. You know, you want to talk about a defensive football game. As, you know, in the first half, the score, and it wasn't much scoring. There were plenty of turnovers. You know, we're talking about three turnovers from Jeremy Musa at FAMU. We're talking about three interceptions from Quinn Williams at Howard. This was a back-and-forth affair. I think that FAMU's uh, special teams and their defense really kept them in this game. Like, if you watched the first half, you probably would think that Howard's going to end up running away with this one. But FAMU found a way to keep it close. They had some good returns by Marcus Riley, John Marie Cherie. They did a great job uh, in still staying active, even though the offense wasn't working as well. And then the defensively, we got to see uh, Aneem Dankwa, big 6'7", left tackle at Howard, go against Anthony Dunn out of FAMU. That was a great matchup to see throughout the game. So uh, I think that 
FAMUs, they, they persevered through the, and they weathered the storm in this big, big college football game. I think in so many championship games, we see that the tide may change, the momentum may change, and it causes the team to lose morale, they get out of it, and maybe we're looking at a blowout. You know, we, we've seen it in the FBS championships, we've seen it in FCS championships. But I think the fact that FAMU was such a veteran team, and they're able to persevere through a tough first half, showed that they were rightfully the HBCU champions of 2023. Yeah, man. And listen, you said the turnover part of it. There were six turnovers in between both teams. There were three turnovers for Howard, three turnovers for FAMU. You had a fumble that was lost by Musa. That was nasty. I'm like, Musa going to be able to finish the game, but he actually got back up. And then, of course, we know the three interceptions thrown by good brother Quentin Williams in his last collegiate game. We'll talk about him in a second. So I got to ask you this, because this was the chatter around HBCU Twitter or X or whatever. Okay, I'm going to take a break. Okay, <laughs> going into Christmas, all right? But the talk around FAMU, the talk around the whole entire situation around the Celebration Bowl is that Howard lost this game more than FAMU won this game. Now, I disagree, and I want to see if you disagree, because for me, I think that FAMU showed what they've been this whole entire year. They show they're talented. They show they have depth. They show that they're not afraid to call gutsy plays because Willie Simmons, he gets in his bag and he'll pull a lot of different things out for his various weapons that he has. So I want to ask you, do you think, and it's almost an oxymoron because we see the box score. We see that FAMU won the game and then Howard lost the game. But, of course, in the prognostication of sports is, hey, well, did Howard lose this game or did FAMU win this game? So what say you, Flicks? Did Howard lose this game? Did FAMU win this game? Or is it more complex and is it a mixture of both? Yeah, now, to, to say that uh, uh, FAMU just didn't win this game and somehow Howard just gave it away, I mean, I think it's a little blasphemous, honestly, you know, speaking from a, a football peer standpoint, because just watching – Fam, you go out there and put 20 points on Howard in the fourth quarter shows that they were the better team. You know, you don't do you don't score 20 points by accident. And really, in looking at the game, fam, you gave a lot of points to Howard. Fam, you had a safety. Jerry Musa got sacked in the end zone. Jerry Musa also threw a pick six while he was on his own 20 yard line. How many times did Howard have the ball starting on their own side of the 50 in this game? This game was such a back and forth affair to say that. Howard just handed FAMU this game where FAMU also had three turnovers is a little ridiculous just thinking about the fact that it was anybody's game to win. There was at no point in this game where I thought, oh, man, Howard just can't do it. They just got to lose to FAMU. No, Howard actually had a chance on their last two drives of the football game. Yeah, man. When I tell you we have been talking about FAMU and Howard all year on this show. And it's so crazy because REL would cover the MEAC because REL is a North Carolina AT grad. And I would cover the SWAC. I'm not a SWAC graduate. I went to Fort Valley. Okay. But at the same time, you know, I'll cover the storylines that were going on in the SWAC. And one of the things that REL would always bring up is Quentin Williams. You live and die by Quentin Williams if you're Howard University. And we literally saw that on Saturday. The man had zero touchdowns. He had three interceptions, only 106 passing yards. He didn't do much better with his legs. And Quentin Williams came in 
Like, I think Quinn Williams is a good enough quarterback, but I just think that he sort of dropped the ball in this moment. I think how a lot of folks, as you know, Flicks, how a lot of folks are talking about him is wild because at the end of the day, I hate to say it's just a game, but it is just a game because it matters. It matters to me. It matters to these schools. But at the end of the day, this is a young man that's working to grow, to improve. He did a lot of great stuff for Howard, put up a lot of great stats, stepped up when it mattered during the regular season. He just had a really bad game today. So we're not so we're not gonna tarnish him as a young man, as as a player in general. We're just gonna talk about his play on the field. Cause a lot of these folks are here tripping. But Flex, I, I want to toss to you because Jeremy Musa had 289 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Jeremy Musa had an interception that went for a pick six. But Quinn Williams had zero touchdowns, three interceptions, like I said. And he had two back-to-back interceptions, including the interception that sealed the game. So I want you to assess Quinn Williams' performance and how you think that his sort of like like below average performance, below what we expected, affected Howard. Oh man, that was that was a terrible performance. I mean, if you couldn't draw up a worse performance for a quarterback in the celebration bowl, uh, this was the worst time for Quentin Williams to lay an egg, and he came out and simply he put he laid an egg. Uh, this Howard team did everything to stay in this game. Everything. I saw some great catches. I saw Jared Hunter running the ball very well. Eden James get as many touches as I wanted him to, but he still made an impact on the game. But really, when the ball was in Quentin Williams' hands, he wasn't able to make the right play with it. And I understand Coach Larry Scott had his six-year senior out there and wanted to keep him out there as long as possible. But in hindsight, maybe making a change for a series or two just to break up that terrible momentum that Quinn Williams had started, the negative momentum that was going against him. If you could get him out that game, let him see the game from the sideline for a couple of plays, maybe let Jayshon Scroggins go in there and do his thing, and then throw Quinn Williams back in. It really felt like Quinn Williams – was on fire from the the time the game started right now on fire in a good way in a bad way on fire to where he didn't understand where his reads were where his keys were he didn't look comfortable in the pocket And, and even speaking about running the ball randall he didn't run the ball at all for a lot of quarterbacks that's like a safety button just running the ball going to get five seven yards he never looked comfortable at any point in this game i feel like if there was a time to slow things down for him it may have been in the third quarter when they still had a lead but it seemed as though as the game went on, somehow Quinn Williams continued to get worse. And I think that may actually be a byproduct of FAMU's dark cloud defense. I think the defense over there at FAMU is so fast on the back end with guys like Lovey Jenkins, Kendall Bowler, Javon Morgan, even Eric Smith that started that corner for them. They did such a good job in slowing down the, the different pass concepts that Howard had. I think that Quinn Williams began to press towards the end of the game. We saw some really lazy interceptions. Interceptions to where we know that no Howard receiver was open, but Quinn Williams still decided to deliver the football. So I think that during this game, there was a point around the third or fourth quarter where FAMU's defense really figured out Quinn Williams. And it's tough for uh, you know a fifth or sixth year guy to get figured out in his last quarter of football play. So I think that we just we got to see the bad side of Quinn Williams. Yeah. And I, I just I, I hate it for him because I know that that's gonna sit with him likely for the rest of his life. I'm not gonna lie to you. That's gonna sit with him because I think that if he played a little bit better maybe up to maybe his North Carolina Central type of stat line or some of his other better stat lines from this year, 
they very well could have had a chance to win this game because it wasn't as demonstrative of a thing you win. I think FAMU won outright. I think the defense was the real MVP. I was tweeting that. But if Quinn Williams played a little bit better, we might be having a totally different conversation. But we're going to talk about Quinn Williams a little bit more in a second because I want to just go through the game within itself and talk about some moments and then like just get our reactions at that point. All right. So I got to say this, Flix, listen, when it comes to HBCU broadcasting, right? We have sometimes low quality broadcasts, even on TV. And you look at like the SEC. I love CBS, how they broadcast football in general. But you look at like CBS, NBC, when they broadcast the Bayou Classic looks really good. But your typical HBCU game looks terrible. But the MEAC Swag Challenge and the Celebration Bowl looked amazing. It looked amazing. Because I'm someone, you know, folks, I'm a media guy. So I, I love that. I love this, the presentation of it, the multiple camera angles, the graphics, the video package, all these different things. I love the fact that ABC is like, oh, okay. They like, you know what? This is the celebration bowl. It's the last HBC football game of the year. Bet. Let's give them the SEC package. You know what I'm saying? So I got to say, first and foremost, it looked beautiful, man. And it just, the whole entire vibe around it, Cam Newton being there after he read them folks down about his game manager comments, because he wasn't talking about me and he wasn't talking about you. Okay? He wasn't talking to us. So we just sitting there like, ah, oh, yeah, you right, Cam. Cam was at the game, like, kicking it, making it happen, surprising the kids. They like, what? Cam Newton went to an HBCU? They like, nah, I didn't go. Nah, he didn't say that for real. He was like, nah, I didn't go. I, I went to another school. Well, I'm just saying that. <laughs> I went to another school. I might coach one day. Nah, he, he didn't say that. But, like, man, it's just like the vibe yeah vice president kamala harris that was there she was repping howard like talking about her being a part of the alpha chapter of aka it was so great such a great broadcast so just 10 out of 10 so I, before we get to just the reporters of the game flicks you have any thoughts about just the broadcast in general it looked good like, like you're saying it looked good uh even coming from the the band of the year the night before going to the celebration bowl uh when you're speaking about abc hosting the celebration bowl the ticker the score bug looked good. You know, Jay Walker and Tiffany sounded great up there. I was so happy to see that Kamala Harris got a chance to make it up to the booth. I mean, even hearing from her, I heard that a lot of people couldn't even get into the game on time because there was some extra security at, uh, at every door going in. So, you know, this game, the magnitude of the game has, has continued to increase year after year. And I think this year, man, like I've been saying, I think that this should be a New Year's Six Bowl. Like, this deserves to be Celebration Bowl, Rose Bowl, Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl. That's how I see it. Wow. So so you think they should move the Celebration Bowl to New Year's Six? You, you, that's what you think? I wish I wish they could. I, I generally wish they could. I think the Celebration Bowl and all that it attracts and the game itself is definitely on par with the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl, the rest of these games. I think that we should put it into that same category. Mm. You know what's so crazy, and we're not going to get into it, but if they did do that, that would open up that playoff system that everybody's, you know, talking about so heavily. That would open it up. You move it to December, January, maybe that 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 week after Christmas. You know what I mean? And it's a situation where now you can't say, well, the Miak got more rest in the swag. I mean, theoretically speaking, they would have because they would have got an extra couple weeks. But relatively, that wouldn't matter because you have almost a month for both teams that are off. So that that's something to, to, to put in in the thinking jar. 
You know what I'm saying? You know how you're a kid, you know what I'm saying? You put you put a dollar, that, that's something to put in. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe every John Grant a hit, I'd be like, you know what? On HBCU Post Radio, Flick said something that made a lot of sense. And this is what we call him the scout. Okay. But listen, I gotta say this too before we move on. And I'm not trying to make a political statement, but I know I, I rock based listen to HBC Post Radio. If you follow me on Twitter at Arthur Randall B, listen, Vice President Kamala Harris, people are like, oh, she don't show up nowhere. But then she was there and it's like, oh, it must be election season because she's just a pandering. And it's like, y'all, she went to Howard. She was up there. She knows her line name. She knows how many folks was on the line for her when she pledged, a.k.a. She was up there repping. And you would think that, oh, she's just pandering. She don't want to be around her HBCU folks. She going to go up to ABC and then she going to leave. She was there in the fourth quarter. She was there to watch Howard lose. Like, she was there. Cause like they kept showing like like when they got the pick six interception, like you, did you see how when they got the pick six interception, they showed her? Did you say you see that she was clapping? She was pretty lit. I, I was surprised she was that into the football game. She watched the whole thing for sure. Her and Doug were there kicking it. Like I, that. That's why I just to me, and this is something we'll get into probably a little bit more in the future, in future episodes, because now that sports is over, I'm going to tackle more on HBC Post Radio about the sector, um, like how we did last year. But, man, like, she was there. She was kicking it. Like, man, that that that, that woman was not pandering. Vice President Kamala Harris was not pandering. And y'all HBCU folks got to cut it out, because $7 billion in HBCU funding from the Biden administration? Y'all better cut it out. But before I get a hope and a dream by the other guy, anyway. Uh, this ain't, this ain't, we still talking about football. Don't, just wait. Oh, just wait. All right. We're going to talk about some more a little bit later. But anyway. Don't, don't go anywhere. Y'all ain't no one, right? Yeah. HBCU Pulse Radio will be right back after this commercial break. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and host of HBCU Pulse Radio. And listen, it's Christmas season. And y'all know, number one, I love gifts. And number two, Christmas Day is my birthday, born December 25th, 1996, making it happen. So I know a lot about Christmas, and I have the perfect gift for your dad, your brother, your boyfriend, your cousin, courtesy of the sponsor of today's show, Manscaped. Manscaped helps men improve their overall hygiene with its top-of-the-line products, such as the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, which, as you can see, the good folks at Manscaped sent me over to test out. And I, I was going to consider this a Christmas gift as well, okay? <laughs> because it was definitely something that really made my month. The Lawnmower 5.0 is like that. It's one of the best trimmers that I've ever used. And if you're not up on Manscaped, hate to say it, step your game up. You are behind the curve. Manscaped has even more products that are perfect stocking stuffers for the holidays. And listen, for my guys that got the beard game going on, you want to make sure in the new year you're stepping. I know you're looking for the right product to make sure you keep your beard tight for the new year. And as you can see, I know how that feels. You feel me? I, I know how it feels. Look no further than the Manscaped Beard Hedger Pro Kit and the Handyman Electric Face Shaver to make sure you have your look together like how I do right here. This is my birthday haircut right here, all right? But listen, get 20% off and free shipping with the code HBCU at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code HBCU. And tell them the birthday boy, <laughs> Randall sent you. 
about just some of the moments of the game, Flick. So I want to talk real quickly about that 14-0 start because you, you talked about it when you were breaking down just the story of the game. Howard hops out to a 14-0 lead. So I know for me how I was thinking is that, is the MEAC really just the better conference? Like, does that, I was starting to think, does that break, Matt? I was starting to think about the narratives that were being said, right? But then, you know, fam, you eventually came back. But I was just like, man, like, what's really going on? So when Howard jumped out to that 14-0 lead, what did you think? Well, uh, like every other celebration, Bo, what, what usually stands out to me is that front seven, man. Usually that front seven is really nasty from the MEAC, you know, whether it's coming from the offensive line or defensive line. We saw uh, this offensive line at Howard really lean on FAMU. And, and like you've been saying, how the MEAC and the SWAC are looked at as two different conferences. What really I began to think was, Maybe the SWAC just is lighter and is more of a speed conference compared to the physical, uh, strong, brute MEAC conference that's more built for run-build offenses. Uh, it's almost like, you know, it, it could be akin to the big brother, the SIAC and the CIAA. You know, we talk about the CIAA, how they're super run-heavy, but they don't have the size up front. MEAC super run-heavy, they have the size up front, and, and SIAC has a lot of speed, along with the SWAC having a lot of speed. So really in watching that, that game get off to a 14-0 start, I looked at that offensive line, the guys like Aneem Dankwall really get to start pushing on FAMU, and it reminded me somewhat of the North Carolina Central game, where I go, is this defense big enough to handle this offensive line from Howard? And I think that FAMU ended up getting their feet underneath them after the first uh, two or three drives. And that lead, I think, simply put, FAMU's offense put the defense in a lot of bad situations. Uh, they weren't able to convert on third downs. They were stopped on a fourth and short, a quarterback sneak. Uh, they were really unable to get any momentum going offensively, and it left that defense on the field, which was an issue. Uh, I think what ended up working in FAMU's favor was the fact that Quinn Williams really could never get things going. As much as this Howard offense was on the field in the first half, Quinn Williams was unable to throw for more than 60 passing yards. That's going to be a problem no matter the lead. And I think that's what ended up catching up to Howard. But in that first half, I really thought maybe the SWAC won't be able to beat the MEAC. I was thinking that too. And, you know, just for me, the thing that stuck out to me is I said this, and I guess folks didn't in the space didn't really think this, that looked at FAMU and Howard. For me, I trusted Jeremy Musa more. And, you know, Musa had some, some missteps and some issues. He had that fumble early. But my thing is that when you look at both teams and you look at what FAMU was able to do and you look at sort of what the, the story around Quentin Williams was, and if you, like I said, if you listen to HBC Pulse Radio, Ariel was big on that, that you, you win and you lose by Quentin Williams. He throws an interception. Like, Ariel even said to a point, that Quentin Williams got to throw an interception to win the game. <laughs> that's, one, that's one of the things she was saying, like, as we were going into Miak play, he was, she was like, if he don't throw an interception, you're not winning the game. Because that means he's not trying. Like, that was the stuff that Ariel was saying. You know what I'm saying? I was like, you know what? As I was watching, I was like, you know, I almost text Ariel, like, you know what, Ariel? Like, like they might win this game. He had three. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so it, it, it's like, you know, I definitely saw that for sure. And I really want to see more from Quentin Williams, but eventually Musa got it going. I think that 
one thing that's big is adjustments. And I want to call back to this flicks. I don't know if you got a chance to hear my commentary after the celebration bowl last year that put me in a lot of hot water, but at the same time, I think it held up when we looked at what happened this season. I demonstrably said that Deion Sanders could not coach. Now, this is not Deion Sanders' conversation, but I want to go back to what I was saying because what I was saying is just the adjustments, what the head coach can control. I just simply didn't see that from Deion. And I, and I know the camera can be deceptive. I wasn't on the sideline. I wasn't in the stadium. I was watching from home. But I just saw Deion with his head set up, just sort of kicking it, just, just, just watching his team, his talented team, do what they do. And North Carolina Central had just as, as much of a talented team and a better game plan to win. I saw Larry Scott. People can say what they want to say about Larry Scott, about, oh, he, he coached a bad game, X, Y, Z. I heard, I saw him talking to Quentin Williams. I saw him talking to his players. I saw Willie Simmons talking to Musa. When Musa made a mistake, Musa just goes to now. Willie Simmons had him over and was like, listen, man, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. I didn't see that from Dion last year. And to me, just to circle back around, because a lot of folks saying I was right about, about on that front, like they, like people are seeing that I was, I was correct. But my big thing is just adjustments and coaching. That's how you win the game. Because at some point, you got to make an adjustment. So I want to briefly talk about coaching before we get into some of the stuff that fam you did and then those final you know few minutes. So what do you think about the coaching side between Larry Scott and Willie Simmons? Do you think that Larry Scott just blew the game as far as just his coaching? Or does, does, do you think it was just a couple of missteps? He's a good coach. We move on. Yeah, I mean, it's only so many so – many- Good play calls you can make when your quarterback uh, can't move the ball. He's, it seemed like there was a – that's really why I brought up earlier, maybe even taking out Quinn Williams. I don't think that there was that bad of a game called by Larry Scott. I think, honestly, Howard had a pretty good game plan going in. You can tell by their opening game script where they drove down like 60 yards in about five or six plays. So I think the game plan was there. They had extra time to game plan. I think that's all out the box. Uh, I think that the main problem is that they couldn't get Quinn Williams – to operate within the game plan. Uh, I, I would say that he may have been working against the game plan at times and throwing some of those interceptions. He was throwing a lot of footballs pretty late. He didn't seem like that was the defense that he saw on film. Somehow, uh, fam, you created some type of smoke and mirrors in front of him. But I think that Larry Scott did a great job play calling. In goal line situations, we still saw Casey Hawthorne come out for the Wildcat. And short situations, we still saw we still saw short throws to those playmakers or handoffs to Jared Hunter. I think that the ball was in the right guy's hands most of the time, but when it was in Quentin Williams' hands, he didn't make the right decision. But I think that on the opposite side, Coach Willie Simmons, Jeremy Musa was also having a hard time. I think that Coach Willie Simmons may have did a better job motivating Jeremy Musa to get back out there and stay in there and stay in the fight, stay in the moment, which was the toughest part for both quarterbacks. And I think that Coach Willie Simmons made it a little bit easier for Jimmy Musa with the play calling because I would say that he called his money plays at the right time, if you're FAMU, right? We talk about those different the, – uh, the flea flickers called at the right time. You know, the, the throwback to the wheel pass for Kelvin Dean called at the right time. You put Kelvin Dean in the slot for a seam route in the red zone and it gets open, it's open at the right time. It's almost like they're so open you can't miss. That's almost how, how good of a play caller Coach Willie Simmons is. But 
I don't think Coach Larry Scott caught that bad of a game in reverse. Losing a game by two points isn't usually on play calling. I think it's more on personnel. I totally agree. And just for me, how I look at it is this, right? How I look at it is sports fans always try to find and diagnose the problem. I think that's just what sports fans in general, I always talk about sports fans as, as a monolith to a certain point, because of course, we're all not a monolith. All, like all of us are different. But I think that, especially when you look at Twitter, sports fans always try to diagnose a problem. Sometimes the problem is valid, like Darvin Ham with the Lakers, okay? <laughs> That's valid. But other points in time with this one, I just I don't think you can say that Larry Scott is a bad coach because if he's a bad coach, how did he get here? Because I'm, I'm going to use the, the Dion example. I'm not trying to just keep bringing up Dion, but it's just the, the dichotomy of last year, this year, and the fact that my video that I put out keeps coming back up with me saying he's a bad coach folks saying I was right but like for me you look at that Jackson State team you had demonstrative talent so they were running through the swag and it's like hey they're going to be in the celebration bro, regardless because they just signed Travis Hunter like look at the guys they brought in look at Kevin Coleman right but Larry Scott he had guys don't get me wrong but that wasn't their story because no one really expected for Howard to be in this position because of how dominant North Carolina Central was so for me, yeah, you have Casey Hawthorne. Yeah, you have Eden James, who I was a big fan of. Yeah, you have Quentin Williams, like when he's on. Yeah, you have Dankwa and Kenny Gallup. But at the same time, you have to coach up a scheme. You have to put them in position to win. You have to give your offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators sort of the leeway and the direction to say, listen, this is what we're going to do so you can get the win. Some games they did that, like North Carolina Central. Some games they didn't, like Hampton, where they didn't finish the game well. Some games they literally, Larry Scott could have won Coach of the Year for eight receivers in general alone off how he handled Eastern Michigan because they could have won that game and they played a better game than Eastern Michigan. And I would, you know, I would, you know, hypothesize and I and I, I would say that Eden James going down is the reason why they lost that game because I would prognosticate that Eden James, if he stays in, they win that game against Eastern Michigan because they could not stop Eden James. But he got injured in that in that third quarter, one in the fourth quarter, he wasn't there. So he couldn't really score. So I just feel like sometimes when it comes to coaching, when it comes to anything in sports, it's always not, oh, they suck. Fire Larry Scott. Fire the man that got you to the celebration, bro. Like, come on, man. I understand that in the moment we think things, but y'all not Falcons fans. Like, Austin Hill got to go. Larry Scott, Larry Scott can stay, okay? I'm just, like, you know what I'm saying, Flex? Like, like, like I understand, so it's like, Darvin Ham, I get it. Like, Arthur Smith, oh, oh I totally get it, okay? That, that, that Panthers loss. But, like, Larry Scott, you, you, like, Eastern Michigan, Northwestern, we were cheering that man on because we thought they were going to beat those two schools. But now, oh, they lost the Celebration Bowl by four points because Quinn Williams didn't have a great game. Just fire him. He's not a great coach. I just think that's insane. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. And and like you mentioned, North Carolina Central, this is the same team that put up 50 points on North Carolina Central. Okay, the same offense, the same personnel, the same players. I would say the main difference between a game like that and this Florida A&M game was the fact that this offense was never in rhythm like they were against Central, right? When, when that Howard offense could really get things going, running the ball, and then come out with the RPO play action for Quinn Williams, that's when he thrives the most. In this game, it was so many situations where we saw Quentin Williams have to read a whole defense, and he struggled. He struggled mightily. They didn't run much RPO where he was able to cut the field in half and only read half of the field. They didn't do that for him. So, hey, 
this is the best team in the MEAC at the end of the day. This is who they sent. This is who everybody would assume has the advantage because they have two days of, of extra scouting work they could do. So at, at the end of the day, this is Larry Scott's best coach game. It won't get any better than this. This is it. They just fell out, they fell out short coming against a very good FAMU team. And I, I want to just say this. You, you know, you know, I got love Howard, and we on the radio station, not this week, but I'm just saying that they, they weren't the best team in, in the MEAC. They won the MEAC. Don't get me wrong. They won, but North Carolina Central was the best team in the MEAC. Like, I mean, we want to just kiss. We want, and I know, I know, I know, like, you probably, you know, you, you agree with it because, like, it's like they, they had glaring issues that Howard was able to exploit, and we salute Howard for that. But North Carolina Central, bar none, was the best team in the MEAC. And we likely would have probably gotten a, a, a more high octane game if it was North Carolina, North Carolina Central. And from what I saw, if I had the hindsight of what I saw on Saturday, and let's say North Carolina Central made it, to, to me, what I would say is that North Carolina Central, North Carolina Central probably would have beaten FAMU. But just from what I saw. You know what I'm saying? Like, like just look with what I saw and I, and sports fans, we also love hypotheticals, but to me, Howard competed, but I think that North Carolina central outside of a couple of defensive defensive, you know, inefficiencies with, with North Carolina central, I think they probably would have competed better against this family team than Howard did. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, even, even thinking about that during the game, I was wondering, you know, just about Howard and, Thinking about their path to the celebration bowl and it just made me think i think the miag honestly does need more teams i think we in football it to have like a do or die situation between within five games is a little ridiculous i mean we got to be real if there were two or three more games on that schedule that determined the miag champion it, it would it would solidify the champion i think the reason why the, the co-champs kind of worked out for them in this smaller uh issue of the miag is the fact that it's very hard to figure out who the champion is without a conference championship and with only six teams. And at the end of the day, one bad game tripping you out of the celebration bowl really changes a lot in a conference that already isn't that big to start with, right? If Howard had to play two more conference games, maybe they aren't the MEAC champion. Maybe we do still end up with North Carolina Central because uh, from a competitive standpoint, you're absolutely right. This, this Howard team was coming into the game six and five. There's no way they're the best team in the MEAC at six and five. But due to the schedule, due to the number of teams, they had the luck of the draw, and they beat the right team at the right time. Because at the end of the day, they did lose to South Carolina State. And I think these are just issues that the MEAC are going to go through moving forward. And we're talking about a celebration bowl featuring a conference with 12 teams and a conference with six teams. And also no MEAC championship as far as the game, a MEAC championship game, which I know – you had Coach Trey Oliver that was like, oh, no. Even after the loss, he was like, nah, we, we still don't need one. But I, I just think that it would make more sense. Because if Howard wins that game, if they beat North Carolina Central, if they beat North Carolina Central twice, there ain't nothing you can do. You know what I'm saying? Like, they just, they're just that good. But just to, to, to me, like, I like the fact that, like, you know what? There's no tiebreakers. North Carolina Central lost to Howard, who beat the team they were supposed to beat, so they made it. I was not mad at that at all. I think I definitely would... I, I wish that North Carolina Ante and Hampton would just come back. I just really wish they would because we're going we're gonna to see what happens with them when it comes to next year. But I just wish they would just come 
back home. And I know we have the folks that are on Twitter and I get it. They make compelling arguments as to why they wanted to upgrade and move on. They had issues with that previous regime or the MEAC. Man, just come home, man. <laughs> like just, I, I'm not like those, those other, I'm not going to shame you. I got love for North Carolina A&T, but just come home, man. Like see, the CAA ain't really like that. The Delaware done, done got up out of there. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they going to try to get a ball game. We got one. Come back. You know what I'm saying? Because I just, oh my God. Come back, man. Because we would have been so much better, Flex. We would have been so much better with them. You know what I mean? I mean, in both of those teams, too, they, they fit the MEAC profile still, even though they're in a different conference. Run the ball, play good defense. Both of those teams, that's all they do. Yeah. yeah. Not North Carolina A&T. <laughs> North Carolina A&T didn't do too much. All that well on offense, tell you that much. Oh, and Ariel know that too. Ariel and I, because we, we had a whole segment with Ariel like, like a few weeks ago, like where she basically, you know, just, just gave a whole entire breakdown about what's wrong with North Carolina A&T. It was, it was, it was something else, man. But just, I want to get to the moments that really define the game. So we talk about Willie Simmons and his play calling ability. And now he is a great coach. And I, I see him as a developer. And when he gets in his bag, as we all have been saying on HBCU Twitter, when it comes to offense. So he pulled out two flea flickers. He pulled out two of them. All right. And the flea flicker that mattered the most was the one that put them back in the lead. All right. So, Flicks, talk to me about the flea flickers. I think at this point, instead of calling Willie Simmons, Willie Shotgun Simmons, we should call him Willie Flea Flicker Simmons. Okay. Cause he called the flea flickers, man. So, so talk to me. <laughs> talk to me about the flea flickers, Flicks. I mean, I can't lie. Willie Simmons is a legend for that. You know, you ran two flea flickers and they both successful. Like, that's unusual. You know, usually you call one and you go, okay, that's good. We'll save it for next year. He said, all right, next quarter we're going to try it again. And, and, in fact, that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, in my opinion, because uh, what FAMU was doing offensively was good moving the ball, but they needed those big plays, man. We see every all year FAMU has thrived with these big plays, whether it be to, to Marcus Riley, John Marie Sharid, or, or Terrell Jennings. He's big, but he might be tumbling down the sideline, right? So with, with FAMU – having those big plays those big moments is really able to galvanize this team and we saw late in the game a flurry of punches coming from famu whether it be from the flea flicker or the big wheel route or the seam route it really felt like coach willie simmons had something in his back pocket the whole game and he was like we just keep him close i could bring out these tricks but we gotta keep them close and the FAMU defense did their job and they let this FAMU offense stay on the field and be able to make those plays but i will say a big throw by jeremy musa man he was missing guys the whole day he missed marcus riley for what could have been a 70 yard bomb to bounce back and be able to have the composure to catch the ball on a flea flicker and deliver a absolute strike for a 40 yard pass to, to put the team up that's a big play right there. That's a big moment you got to lean into and really want to make that play. You can't continue the inconsistencies he's had throughout most of that game and still make that play. You got to turn all that stuff off. Just you and your receiver on the field, and let's make a good pass. And that's what he did. Yeah, and I'm, I'm telling you, like, also another thing that really stood out to me was when they put Moose as a receiver. You know what I'm saying? Like, you had, you had Musa. You remember that play? When Musa went as a receiver, I was like, oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that was really different. I, mean, I remember, like, I think didn't the Eagles do that against the Patriots? Or didn't, like, the Patriots do that against the Eagles in one of those Super Bowls a few years ago? It, it was something like that. Was, was it was it the Patriots or the Eagles that did that? 
Patriots for sure. Tom Brady went out on a pass, but he uh he just he just fell or something. Something. He acted like he was thirty years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was like he was like forty. Like so, that that really it reminded me of that where it's like when it's big games, you pull out big plays. So Flex, let me tell you this. So sometimes on HBCU Post Radio, you haven't experienced this, this part of it yet. I give folks my video game updates when I when I'm a, I'm a sports guy and on the video games, right? So you know, I I play two K. I don't play. I didn't play Madden this year, but I bought NCAA Football fourteen. All right, I paid a pretty penny for it. Shout out to Clutch Points for paying your boy, okay? Because I used some of my paycheck to get to get NCAA Football fourteen. People kept hyping it up like, man, this is the game. And I bought thirteen. Thirteen was not all that good to me. So I'm like, man, I got to get fourteen because the college football. 24 game that's coming out next year so i went on and got it at the start of the season right so i won a national championship flicks for georgia state i came in turned it around and we won a national championship over texas and m so i did the Deion sanders and said all right y'all deuces and i went to stanford and i'm in the pac-12 right Jeez. so i was so inspired <laughs> By Willie Simmons, <laughs> that, that that I tried to do some flea flickers, <laughs> and when I tell you, they did not go well. Okay, I I tried two in honor of Willie Simmons. I tried two of them. The first one yeah. I could I, I threw it and it go nowhere. The second one we tried that flea. <laughs> We tried to play flicker flicks, and we, the ball didn't even get back to the quarterback. They, they hit the running back. He lost yards. I, I'm not lying to you. I'm not lying to you. I play. I played it on Sunday. I'm not lying to you. I, I was. Let me try flea flicker. You know, just for the one time. It didn't work out. So listen, Willie Simmons knows something a little bit better than me because I couldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's such a risky play. Like you're saying, the, the running back could get tackled. The running back might not pitch it to the quarterback. The running back might pitch to the quarterback, but the receiver might not be open. It takes so much to be right to throw a flea flicker. It, it, it definitely takes a lot, and I understand that. Now, see, that's why we play the video game. you got to understand how it is. All right? I, I, still, I still won the game. I, I tried to, to blow the flea, flea flicker. I beat Oregon State 37 to like 84, okay? So uh, uh, I need flea flicker, okay? I just needed eight touchdowns, okay? With my quarterback, all right? <laughs> See, that's why they pay with the big bucks at Stanford. Okay, anyway. All right, so let's, so let's talk about, speaking of coaching, all right, Larry Scott, you know, a lot of folks are very upset at him because he refused to call a timeout. He had only one timeout remaining going into the two-minute situation when it came down to the end of the game. He called a timeout early in that fourth quarter. I, I, I'm not going to say it was the right timeout because he had two timeouts at that point, and it, when he called it was one timeout. But I think he was doing something to make sure that Quentin Williams was good because I think Quentin Williams was, you know, he wasn't in the right space. He was about to make a mistake. So I think that that was the reason why he called the timeout. Now, I could be wrong, but it just appeared to me it was like a Quinn Williams thing. Or it might, it might have been a lineup situation, but it seemed like a Quinn Williams thing while he caught that second timeout. But when that one timeout remaining, he had the opportunity to have a game-winning drive that was more substantive, where it could have been a little a little bit up more, it could have been longer. People were also mad that when they got the touchdown, he didn't go for two points Try towards the end when they got eventually got the lead before FAMU got it back immediately on that flea flicker. He didn't go for two points. He went for a field goal. So I want to ask you about those two instances. So not going for... The, the two-point conversion and, and settling for a field goal and then not calling the timeout earlier when they only had one timeout. So what do you think about those two plays in that fourth quarter? Yeah, 
I mean, uh, going for two or not is risky business for sure. I know he just wanted to keep the lead. That's, that's part of playing a championship game. You always want to maintain that lead. And you don't want to jeopardize not coming away with any points. You know what I mean? Coming away and not converting it. So uh, it's more of a feel thing with conversions. Uh, I will say, you know, for the and short situation with Howard, usually in their in their Two-point conversions, you'll throw Casey Hawthorne back there, Wildcat quarterback, or uh, you throw Ian Wheeler back there, something like that, mix it up. I didn't think that was too big of a play for Howard. I think that, you know, if you believed in your Howard offense, you probably wouldn't need that two-point conversion moving uh, deeper into the game. But the timeout, though, the, the timeout was a little worrisome. You always got to be careful about when to use your timeouts in, in certain situations. But, I mean, the, to put it simple, the, the Howard offense wasn't moving anyway. I mean, the timeout didn't affect too much. This offense couldn't convert on third down, which was the main problem. However you can change the offense's mindset to get that to happen, you do it. If that's taking a timeout early, you do it. Because at the end of the day, you'll never, have that, you'll never be able to use up any of that extra time if you can't get things started. So I agree with you, Randall. I think that he possibly was talking to Quinn Williams about things or talking to the offense about things, trying to get guys together and have them organized. One thing that holds true for pretty much any football game, we never know what's really happening on that sideline at the time. Right. Mentally between the players or mentally between the coaches, communication from the booth to the sideline. So for that, I will give Coach Larry Scott some grace. It's also a championship game in the fourth quarter. Emotions are flying super high. Right. As a coach, you have to do your best to manage those situations and, and not let the, the barn set on fire. So I think what Coach Scott was doing was simply galvanizing his players for the, the moment that he did have instead of trying to galvanize them on a third down situation, which probably wouldn't happen. The Howard offense itself needed a kickstart. I think Coach Scott was just kicking the tires. Yeah, I, I just I think that that was the reason why. And I don't think folks will look at the context around that second timeout. And people weren't really talking about it. That was more sort of a me thing. I saw folks talking about him holding that timeout instead of calling it, uh, especially. And, and Jay Walker said something about it when it's like, listen, like you can you can control your destiny if you have the ball. Like you spike the ball, you you, you throw a pass out of bounds to stop the clock. But at that point. It was almost like a, like a punning situation when I think family was going to get it back to Howard. And it was a situation where Joe Walker was like, call the timeout because right now you don't control your destiny because you don't have the ball. And I was I think that was very adept by, by Jay Walker. I also think Jay Walker was becoming a fan. He was getting upset. He was up there in the booth, like like venting his frustration as a Howard alum. Because he was like, if that was me, if I was out there in 1993, I would have called the timeout. I would have said, Coach, you, you'll thank me later. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like Jay Walker was up there getting frustrated. But it came down to this because Howard had the opportunity to win the game. And, and that's the thing that folks are not going to talk about because they're going to look at the loss instead of the storyline around it. Howard had the opportunity to win the game. They got the ball back. Even without the timeout, it was enough time remaining for them to sort of run things down, right? So Quinn Williams threw an interception that first drive, but, you know, they got the ball back, right? So they throw back-to-back. -back, he throws back-to-back -back interceptions, and that last interception we talked about earlier, that sort of determined the game, all right? So... I wanted to get your reaction because we talked about Quentin Williams' performance, but what was your reaction to that moment? I was uh, I was in unbelief, uh, disbelief. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Disbelief. There's uh, there's been some times during the season where Howard has fallen short uh, at the end of games. They, they aren't a very clutch team. They sometimes they don't convert. A guy will drop it. Interceptions. That stuff kind of happens. But in this moment, 
you really felt like, you know, the senior quarterback, graduate senior quarterback was going to make things happen for this Howard team, as magical as it felt. And maybe we've succumbed to the last couple of celebration bowls, Travis Hunter catching the ball for the last touchdown of the game last year, you know, maybe the, the Grambling, the central matchup with the, the offsides and all the, the different penalties, maybe the late game antics of the celebration bowl made us all believe that Quentin Williams was going to pull the rabbit out the hat and show everybody I'm still Q Will. And I think there was a point during that drive where their confidence dropped and it was just about just making a play. Can I just make a play? And I think that Quentin Williams honestly just forced that. And he came off the interception. I know that come back onto the field, he's thinking the last thing I could do is throw an interception. But he does it again. And I think that's just him pressing. I think the moment was so big that he was pressed. And he decided just to make a play and pray. You know, throw let's just pray on this one. But that wasn't the right situation. It was too early. They, they damn near threw the pick at two minutes. So... Uh, we saw a, a Howard team that has been inept in two minute drills throughout the season simply succumb to that again in the celebration bowl. Yeah, and just in general, that turned into a, a loss, man. You know what I'm saying? So, just in general, I want to really briefly talk about where both schools go from here, and then you know we'll close it out and we'll talk about uh, just in general, like what we see for the football season just really quickly before we close out for the year. Uh, so where does Howard go from here? They're losing a lot of depth. They're losing a lot of depth. They're losing, of course, Quinn Williams is leaving, but Dankwa is leaving. He's probably going to declare for the, for the NFL draft really soon. Kenny Gallup just won the Aeneas Williams Award for the best defensive back in Division One HBC football. He's leaving. You have a lot of guys on that team that were productive that are gone because, you know, they're either seniors or they were graduate students. So now you have a Larry Scott that's rebuilding that roster, and he has to rebuild it to contend once again in the MEAC, hopefully even be better. If they were 4-1 this year, they might want to go undefeated next year. They still want to contend. That got Chennis Berry coming up. You might want to, you know, like I push him back and say this is not Charles' year, but also you you, you have more Morgan State up there, and they're, and they're trying. Damon Wilson's trying to make it happen. So what do you think that Howard needs to do to rebuild, to continue to contend? Oh, man, they're going to have to actually bring in a pretty big recruiting class this year. I'd say that the past couple of years, recruiting-wise, like maybe even last year, only brought in around 13, 15 guys. They've simply been padding this uh, very veteran-led team, right? you got a lot of guys that were really brought in from the, the Ron Prince era, Howard. Guys like Quinn Williams played under Ron Prince. So Coach Larry Scott didn't exactly recruit all these great super seniors, the Darian Brokenbirds, Jevin Jackson, uh, Kenny Gallops. He didn't really bring a lot of these guys in. He's simply been supplementing those guys with other recruits and smaller recruiting classes and bringing in guys like Eaton James, compliment a guy that he inherited like jared hunter he's been doing things like that recently i think this is the first year that howard has to literally overhaul their roster right jackson state type overhaul because at the end of the day yeah your seniors are leaving but how do you retain that star talent how do you retain the eden james of the world how, how do you keep these guys around well you got to put more talent around them you got to attract more people to the school. Use Eden James to attract more high-powered guys, right? Eden James was a four-star running back coming out. 
to bring in more guys like that, you're going to need Eden James, right? And the fact that Coach Larry Scott did make it to the Celebration Bowl, it's going to be a strong pitch for them. But Howard simply has to bring in more offensive linemen, had to bring in more defensive linemen. They got to bring in more DBs. We're going to look at a very different-looking Howard team next year. It's probably going to be in a young team. We're going to call them a young team. But despite them being a young team, how many guys can they bring back from this Howard team that went to Celebration Bowl. If we get to the transfer portal and a lot of these guys determine, oh, uh, it was good, but I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going to leave. That's going to leave a big hole for this Howard team because to start, Larry Scott didn't bring in a lot of those seniors, and he hasn't been bringing in big classes in the past couple of years. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really create a, a big hole in this roster if they aren't able to keep those guys on the team. Yeah, I mean, you still, I hope you hopefully still will have Ian yeah. – you hopefully still have like Eden James and a few of those younger pieces, but it, it's going to be tough, man. I mean, because you got to figure out how to really get all three phases, get guys in all those three phases. Because Howard's, like, man, their special teams look really good on Saturday. Like, they look really good, especially, you know, just on, on the return. But just to, to me, I, I want to see what Howard does because one thing that Howard has is they make the celebration bowl, but Howard is a known quantity, man. Like, Howard is known in america they're one of the few schools that folks that don't know about hbcus consider hbcus as you know what i'm saying like it's is morehouse is spellman is howard is famu is north carolina anti and we can expand that number of how folks view hbcus because we know that oftentimes hbcus are regional within their their marketing footprint and in the pr footprint but at the same time you can be in california and know that howard is like that because you had jay walker that's from howard he led an undefeated team you know to a championship then you have vice president Kamala harris that 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 is from california and then of course she went to howard so like just the alumni the football lineage the actors everything like that so howard has a national brand so it shouldn't be too much of a problem especially with the recent success to aggressively go after some transfer portal guys that might want to play at an HBCU, maybe get some FBS guys to quote unquote come down and play for Howard. I think it shouldn't be all that challenging, especially if you keep Eden James and Eden still stays there. He's like, hey, I'm I'm the captain now, and now we're gonna lead this team. We're gonna go back to Celebration Bowl and we're gonna make something different happen. But let's talk about FAMU because FAMU is already cleaning up. On Sunday, they got a former Clemson tight end, a former three-star, Sage Ennis, to commit to FAMU. 6'4", 240-pound TE that played under Quinn Gray, Albany State's head coach, at Lincoln High School in Tallahassee. When I saw that, I sort of thought about this, Flix. If Willie Simmons decided to leave, and this might be a year or two down the line, let's say he decided to leave, Albany State, might be looking for another head coach, depending on what goes on in Albany State. They might be looking for another head coach because Quinn Gray is tapped in with FAMU. He's one of their legendary quarterbacks. So if 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 just the Quinn Gray sort of you know regime brought this brother back, back to to tell us, you know what I mean? So I'm just saying, I, I don't want to sour things for Albany State, but I'm just saying. And fam, you got Plies one one to be a red shirt. <laughs> I don't know if you saw Twitter. Plies want to come back and be a red shirt. So there you got a lot going on, man. And they're going to bring in a bunch of heavy hitters. They already have a bunch of heavy hitters. They're already planning to commit. So just talk to me, Flix. Like, where do you think fam, you goes from here? Yeah, uh, you speaking about Plies. Plies has been a, a very big advocate of Florida A&M, 
But I will say he hasn't been watching recruiting lately. FAMU has been killing recruiting in the past two years. That's that's how they've only lost two games in the SWAC in the past two years. This this FAMU team has accumulated so much talent. I think this guy Sage Ennis just adds to that talent because FAMU used their tight ends. I mean, if you didn't see, Kamari Young went for almost 100 yards at tight end this past weekend against uh, Howard in the Celebration Bowl. So Sage Ennis is going to get some time. He's going to be out there. He's probably going to be starting, being one of the guys for this FAMU team. But recruiting-wise, FAMU is probably one of the best HBCU football recruiters uh, in the country. There's, there's not many teams that are close to them. What uh, Coach Devin does down there at FAMU is is really incalculable. I mean, this guy is bringing in four or five-star guys just to come and visit throughout the season at Bragg, to come in and come see this experience, come watch 33,000 people pile in here and watch some FAMU football. And I think that those experiences are really what is really getting these guys to commit to FAMU. FAMU has begun to do some sort of something that people have done out here, uh, USC, Southern California. They do it a lot. They call it putting a wall around California. That's what they want to do, put a wall around it. It didn't really work. People end up leaving. But what FAMU has done with Tallahassee and the state of Florida, they have kept people in Florida. They're bringing guys back. They're getting high school recruits to come to uh, FAMU. I think FAMU is building it the right way, right? You see some people might do to try to find a quick fix. Let me find a bunch of transfer portal guys. FAMU doesn't exactly do that, right? They really target the guys that they think are top guys, and they fight for the top guys. Some other FAMU, some other HBCUs aren't doing that, but FAMU has decided to take this role on and actually get into recruiting battles with teams that may be bigger than them. Actually go get a guy from Clemson. They're willing to actually stick their neck out because I think FAMU's brand is that strong, and they understand how strong it is in the state of Florida. Man, I'm just so excited for what FAMU can be. For me, they're about to go on an A&T run. I honestly believe that. They're going to go on an A&T run. Like, they're going to be the team in the swag for a minute. And it's going to be so amazing to see. Because like I said, man, FAMU was one of my dream schools, man. And I, I root for FAMU. Because, like, for me, you know, for, it's Fort Valley down for me. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'll take in the Howard because I feel like I'm part of the family. Just having a serious XM show on there. And them, them making my dreams come true with that. But just fam, you have always rocked with fam, you man. I've always rooted for fam, you. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, like I, I've been told by people that do not have this power that I'm, honor, I'm honorary rattler. Okay, I've been told by folks that went, you know, they don't got the power to make that happen. Okay, because I don't need an honorary degree, and I'm not there yet. Okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that popping yet. Okay, give me a few years, and we'll call down there. All right, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and shout out to our, our, our alumnus Thomas Dorch uh, for Fort Valley. Uh, rest in peace to him. He was a board of trustee member. You know what I'm saying? So when I saw that, like Mr. Dorch really inspired me in that front. I'm like, okay, Fort Valley graduate on the board of trustees for FAMU goals. Okay. Then from there, I'm a rattler. Okay. So we there's a there's a path, okay, that we that we're climbing. We'll see in 20 years if that really does happen. All right. But listen, so let's talk about the swag in general. So I'm looking as we're doing this flicks. I'm looking at this press conference. It appears for Grambling that Vic Joseph, as we're recording this on Monday morning, will be the next head coach of Grambling. Now, uh, Kyle T. Mosley of Sports Illustrated HBC Legends reported before the press conference that it seemed as if there was some alumni that were having some grumblings because Mickey Joseph had some situations in regard to domestic violence. Now, for what we know, 
those charges were cleared. He wasn't, you know, co convicted or committed of any wrongdoing. Uh, but we know that the Grambling alumni, they've seen greatness with Eddie Robinson. They've seen greatness with Doug Williams. They've seen greatness with Melvin Spears and Rod Broadway. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, so they, they, they've seen greatness. Like, like they saw greatness from the G, the, from the Devontae Kincaid G-men before FAMU that Grambling won the, the Celebration Bowl in 2016. You know what I'm saying? So they've seen, Roderick Fobbs, they've seen that level of success. So it appears that Vic Joseph, former Nebraska quarterback, served as Nebraska interim coach, coached at Langston University in NAIA, had very successful tenure down there. Then he has coaching stints at Alcorn and, and other places in the SWAC. Now he's at Grambling. So let's talk about that real quick. So what do you think about this hire? Yeah, uh, good hire. It's a good hire. Uh, you know, the message DV charges were dropped. That's uh, not a thing. Uh, he was an interim coach at Nebraska for a time. And previous to that, which I'm most interested in, he was a coach at LSU. He was a wide receivers coach for Jamar Jefferson. I mean, uh, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, uh, DJ Chark, a lot of those guys, Terrence Marshall, a lot of guys in the NFL balling on Sundays. He was coaching, right? He was the guy that was there with Joe Burrow and Chase, and they went on that run in 2019. So to me, this guy right here might be your answer, Grambling, right? Grambling wants a, this quick fix. They want to be able to figure things out, get back into winning ways. Well, this is another very good recruiter, just like Hugh Jackson. This is another guy that knows the offense very good, just like Hugh Jackson. Some of the same qualities from, as we see from Hugh. So it's kind of funny that they bring this guy in instead of giving Hugh an extra year. But whatever, you know, it's their prerogative. And I do think that Grambling, though, will begin to trend up fast. Right, I think when it comes to recruiting, this guy has been on the Power 5 level for a couple of years. He knows what caliber players that he's going to need to win in the SWAC conference. So I think that he's going to be able to attract those type of guys while he's in Louisiana. I'm hopeful that he keeps together this offensive staff uh, led by Coach Lee Hole down there so, so he can keep his quarterback, keep everything else intact as far as the roster. I think that's what's most important for Coach Joseph. It's going to be roster management. Coach Hugh Jackson brought a lot of talented guys down to Grambling, but it goes all for nothing if everybody hits the portal because Coach Joseph comes in as head coach. Do you think that Miles Crowley stays now that Vic Joseph is here? Because is this because like I, to me, looking at it from a storyline standpoint, because I didn't play football. Well, if I played football, that's a whole different conversation. It, it was it was it was a while back, okay. But like I, for me. I'm more of a basketball guy, of course. I didn't play basketball either. I played basketball. I was better at basketball. But when it comes to storylines, I'm I'm real big on that because I, I know the game, but I don't know the game to the level of someone that's played it. So from the media journalism standpoint, I focus more so on the stories being told often. And for me, when you look at the story of this former Nebraska quarterback that is not new to HBCU life, he's not new to the SWAC, he has that backing of being in the conference in that way. And then he served as Nebraska's coach and coached them to three wins. Like the interim coach for, before they, they, they brought in uh, the latest coach, Matt Rule. So to, to me, I think that this is a splash hire to me. I don't think this is just the guy where it's like, who is this guy? I think this is a splash hire. It's not like Deion Sanders, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, celebrity splash hire. But I think to me, this is a splash hire. But what do you think about the recruits like Miles Carlin? What do you think about the recruits like some of the other guys? I mean, I think it was a guy that was like a real big, I think, defensive tackle. He was like six foot five, 
defense tackle that immediately when they fired Hugh Jackson, he went in the transfer portal. Do you think those guys consider maybe coming back? Uh, I, I think they think about it. Guys like Floyd Chalk, who hit the portal, have been receiving uh, FBS offers. I mean, he has offers from San Jose State right now. But I think that Grambling can rival that. You know, I think that Grambling and what they offer, they can rival what a San Jose State might offer. And even the fact that Floyd Chalk has been playing so well at Grambling might lead him to coming back. So uh, I think the fact that Miles Crawley was on the committee to select this new coach helps a lot because part of that transparency that, that a lot of players don't see, they'll get from Miles Crawley to where Miles Crawley goes and sits and knows who's the candidates are. So now he goes back to the dorms or back to the apartments, goes talks to everybody about who the candidates are, who do you think we should bring in? And I think that was probably the most crucial part of the selection process. I do know that Coach Joseph has been building the staff for quite some time now. It's been around eight to nine days since I've heard that Coach Joseph has been building his staff. So I think that this decision may have already been made. They've been getting the numbers right and the money together. But I think that because the decision was already made, it was already relayed to the team uh, at least a week from now, right, before now, to the point where now the team already understands who's going to be there. They understand if they want to hop in the portal or not. They've already made their decisions. And now the public, us, we get to hear about what's coming new. But the team may have already heard about this about seven days ago. I really want to say this. I think that's a great takeaway. I really hope Grambling gives them time because I totally agree with you on what you said on last week. I wish they gave Hugh Jackson more time because I think that you can't rush a rebuild. And Grambling right now is a rebuilt job. It's one of the most storied programs in HBCU football. And I just really think folks forget that they've had a few really good coaches after Eddie Robinson because Doug Williams immediately came in and they were still successful. And that was a big story at that time. Then you had Melvin Spears that came in. He had Bruce Eugene, I think, sort of that final year because Bruce Eugene got injured. He had Bruce Eugene that final year and they went and won the SWAC championship. Then you go in, you get Rod Broadway, who we know he's a legend, like I said. Then you get Broderick Fobbs because Doug Williams comes back and it wasn't that great. I did an interview with a player from that, from that team that it didn't really work out all that well with Doug Williams coming back. But then you go back and then, then you get Broderick Fobbs, who I think got a very raw deal from them. Like, I, I just really think that they shouldn't have fired him. I think they should have allowed him to continue to build upon the success that he's had to try to work his way out of what was going on. Because all he needed was another recruiting class to maybe shake things up. I don't think they really should have let him go. And then you bring in Hugh Jackson, who I think was a good you know, hire, a splash hire, NFL guy with notoriety, and you don't let him cook. If you bring in Mickey Joseph, an FBS guy that has FBS, literal FBS head coaching experience as an interim at Nebraska, he sort of has a name. He can recruit in Louisiana. Like you said, he was on that legendary 2019 LSU squad with Joe Burrow, Jameer Chase, and Justin Jefferson, and the crew. So he's seen some things. He can impart some stories. He might can bring maybe like 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 Justin Jefferson down to Grambling. Like if, if they if they play, you know, like you know, then the NFC they play the Saints might pull up. You know what I'm saying? Like you never know. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just think you gotta give Tim time because you gave Eddie Robinson time when Eddie Robinson and and I know this was years ago. I don't think any of us were really born for real, but like back in the day. Eddie Robinson just come out and just start winning. He had one win his first season. And then, of course, the war happened because he had a couple of more winning seasons, and then you go from there, and then it's more sustained success. 
So I think you have to give your guys time to build something. But I will say this before we move on and we close out the show. I think that Mickey Joe is going to build a winner pretty quickly. I honestly really believe that because I think that he's going to have some guys that are probably already ready. They're going to like, yeah, his coaching staff, I think he's going to have some guys. But real quick, Flicks, if Eric Dooley is indeed on this coaching staff, because folks are saying that Eric Dooley might be the offensive coordinator, what do you think about that? And he, is, is that true? Because you got the sources. Is that true? And if he was the <laughs> offensive coordinator, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, uh, if he is, then I think a lot of guys might hop in the portal. There's there's a very negative attitude towards Coach Dooley uh, as far as, like, players in the swag. <laughs> so uh, if he, they do decide, they bring in Coach Eric Dooley, and they say, Coach Lee Ho, you got to go, I think we might end up seeing one of those mass exits from, from Grambling. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was on this staff, though, because I do think something that is important about Coach Joseph coming back is that he's going to bring a lot of guys back around the program that was around the program when he was there. And Dooley being one of those guys, he probably wouldn't be afraid to bring one of his friends back around and keep them close to the to the program. I think part of uh, where Hugh Jackson may have misstepped was the fact that he didn't didn't seem like he had the relationships in or around the program that kept him up on what was going on. It seemed more like... He was a kid on the playground with no super super uh, vision at all, right? You go out there, you do whatever, just bring the recruits in, just uh, bring the jerseys in, just uh, pack out the stands for for the spring game. But it didn't seem like he really had his hand on the post at Grambling. It almost seemed like he was working against them at times. I think Coach Joseph trying to stay closer to the Grambling and understand what's up with the G, he's going to bring in as many guys as he did when he was a part of the Grambling coaching staff as an assistant coach. So I think it might be a possibility. But as offensive coordinator, I think it's a low possibility. I feel it. So, yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. So we're hearing some rumblings that, that the alumni being upset might have, you know, stirred things up. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that there is some atonement. And, and we see that he, of course, as we're doing this recording right now, he's currently doing his press conference that is airing on HBCU Plus, right? So real quick, Flix, uh, let's move to the – me at because you know we we expect fam you to probably make it back and we talked about grambling so i'm pretty sure you know we sort of agree that fam you is going to really still be the standard bearer in the swag right we, we still think fam you is, is there like that yeah i, I think fam you fam is going to be it's fam conference like you're saying i think they may go on an ant type run but i really see this as being fam conference but they're going to be battling with jackson state every year for it all right and i think maybe at some point if the swag ends up losing divisions we'll see the true fam jackson state rivalry that we really want to see but for now we'll be stuck at the sample size of once a, once a year gremlin i mean not gremlin jackson state and fam going at each other for what could be the swag championship because at the end of the day man this swag west is such a mess it's such a mess <laughs> these guys are Bringing in coaches, letting them go left and right. We've seen Southern just go through they're on a third coach in three years at this point. Uh, we're looking at a Grambling team that's now rebuilding again. So I think, yeah, this is FAMU's conference. Coach Willie Simmons has a clip loaded up. After Jimmy Musa leaves, you got Junior Miratovich to come in at quarterback for you. So I don't think FAMU's going to miss any steps. Yeah. So let's talk about the MEAC. So Chennis Berry's coming over. We talked about him on last week so do you think that it might be a duel between 
Chinnis, Barry, and South Carolina State, and Damon Wilson and Morgan State off top because we saw that North Carolina Central lost some guys. Davis Richard, of course, is most likely going to declare for the NFL draft, but we'll see what happens with that. And, you know, Howard's going to try to rebuild as well. But I think that Chinnis Barry, I think he knows how to build a program. You know, he knows how to build a program quickly. And I think he might have enough to really contend in the MEAC. So what do you think about the MEAC? Like, who do you think are going to be the major players next year? I got to say Morgan State. I think Morgan State's probably going to end up hopping in the driver's seat of, of the MEAC. You talk about the amount of returners they're going to have on defense. The offense that wasn't there last year, it got to be better this year. But I think that with Coach Damon Wilson, what we've seen, even as career at Bowie State, he doesn't lose a lot of guys to the transfer portal, man. This guy has a very good retention rate as a head football coach. And at Morgan State, that's going to play a very big role because you look over at North Carolina Central, they just lose when they're starting offensive linemen. Torricelli Simpkins, they just lose him. They lost Khalil Baker. They lost another DB, Jason Chambers. By the day, Central is losing a lot of this top-end talent. So it's what's telling me that they're going to play a lot of twos next year. And I'll take Morgan State's ones over North Carolina Central's twos any day. So I think that Morgan State will probably end up being in the driver's seat in the MEAC. It's going to be all about who they can find at quarterback, right? I know Fomby, Justin Fomby was on their list. Well, he just committed to North Carolina A&T, so that's not going to happen. Yeah, and like I said, like don't, I think folks shouldn't sleep on Chenis Berry. Because Flicks, you know, we, we experienced Tennisbury in the SIC, and they really grew as far as that program. They grew really quickly. And I think that that philosophy with more scholarships, I think that's going to be nasty. And I want to see, like, who he brings over as far as from Benedict. It might not be a lot of people, but I think that if he brings over some good key guys, he said in his press conference that he planned to bring in some Benedict guys, I think that that's going to be major. But let's really quickly talk about the CIAA. So, I'll start off and say for me with the CIAA, I was impressed with Johnson C. Smith and what I saw in the Beach Bowl. I think the offense, they got to do something with that offense. But I think that Fayetteville State better watch out because Fayetteville State's offense wasn't no better. All right. So I think that that Fayetteville State needs to watch out because Johnson C. Smith is, is, is going to be coming after them. And then, of course, up north, if Jada Byers does indeed stay, all right, because I believe he's going into he, maybe his – senior year because as a junior you you know you can declare and then you can be in uh you know the the different bowl games the legacy bowl and all these different other bowl games to show up your skills for the scouts so if if you know jada byers decides to come back for what i would assume to be his senior season you know i think that union might be might be a problem but you just got to build an offense around jada byers it isn't just run centric i want jada byers to be the star I want him to be the feature of that offense, but you got to bring in a quarterback that can sling it or maybe do a situation where you have a quarterback that can do the RPO, like that can run, and maybe, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to get Jada Byers running or a quarterback running. Like, I I would like to see some of that. I know they had that with some of the guys that they had, but I just think that they were very Jada Byers-centric. Jada Byers ran that offense you got to sort of build an offense around him he's the main feature but you can throw the ball like you can have a quarterback that that, that can run they won the CIAA championship but how they got beat by Cutstown, they still got a way to go flicks but what do you think about the CIAA well the CIAA for one they got to pass the ball more this year man only two teams going for over 200 passing yards a game that's that's 
that's goodness. <laughs> but I will say, uh, going into this next year, a guy like Jay DeVars, Jay DeVar definitely changed things. But they also have a backup running back, a guy named Curtis Allen over there at Union that looks pretty well. So I think that Virginia Union's building a very strong program. I think that the CIAA is probably going to be in determined between Virginia Union and Virginia State because as well as Union has been doing, Coach Frazier at Virginia State has found a way to really maximize on talent from the transfer portal. He's really using the fact that they have a graduate school at Virginia State to their advantage. This past year, they brought in 23 graduate transfers. They are abusing the transfer portal. And a Division II team that has figured out how to use the transfer portal is going to be a problem for years to come. So I think that Virginia State, Virginia Union, will probably battle for the CIAA. A team like Bowie State, I would fade, honestly. I think Coach Kyle Jackson, as good as he is, he's going to have to prove it, right? He's going to get some veteran coaches with guys that have some veteran rosters, right? The, the, the roster at Bowie State was kind of gutted between the NFL draft the year when Coach Damon Wilson left, and the transfer portal. So at this point, Bowie State is in a, a soft rebuild, but teams like Virginia Union and Virginia State are ready to go today, right? Their main difference is probably going to be the quarterback situation. We saw Jakari Grant at Union about a year ago look very well, very good in this uh, quarterback situation. But this past year, Union has struggled at quarterback. Same with Virginia State. If they can find a way to update their guy at quarterback or at least develop him, I can see them both coming out of the CIAA and postseason play. Hey, I love it. I love it. So we're going to see what happens with that. Also, another team to watch, Lincoln University of Pennsylvania with Isaiah Freeman. You know, Isaiah Freeman, that's the guy. He was the CIAA Offensive Player of the Year. I think that if he stays, because you got to always factor in the transfer portal, if he decides to stay and they build an offense around him and they can be the premier passing offense in that league, I think that they'll have something to say, too, up in the CIAA North. But that's that's to be determined. We'll see what happens. Now, to end off, of course, we've got to end off with the SIAC. So, of course, Flicks, you already know, okay, with the Beach Bowl win and the Beach Bowl money, I'm very impartial to Fort Valley and what Fort Valley can do in a post-Chinnisbury world. Because Chinnisbury had the, the conference in a stranglehold. But now I think it's going to be more open. Benedict has a lot of guys that are leaving. I know we talked briefly about it on last week. We know that Coach Gray is going to be a problem. Coach Keaton at Clark Atlanta is going to be a problem. But I hate to just sound like I'm being biased or or a homer. But to me, Fort Valley is really going to make it happen. I know we we lost losing a couple guys to the transfer portal, including one of our one of our offensive linemen. But man, listen, if Calvin Durham comes back, if we sort of rebuild and really get the seniors that are leaving, we get some guys to come in and, and make it happen. I think that we're gonna be perfectly fine in a post Chinnisbury SIC. But Flicks, who are, who are your teams that you believe are gonna really contend in the SIC? Yeah, well, uh, absolutely. I think Fort Valley has a very good chance to contend in the SIC. You look at Kelvin Durham, a guy that's begun to develop very well. He's going to be a junior coming into this season. And uh, really, his development, you just build a team around this guy. And the past couple of years, Fort Valley has. This year, we actually saw Fort Valley give Kelvin Durham the reins, right? His freshman year, it was he and Emmanuel Wilson. Emmanuel Wilson ran for 1,000 yards. Well, this year, this was Kelvin Durham's team. And I think moving forward for Fort Valley State, they're going to need a guy like Kelvin Durham. Come back. There it is. Yep. 
without a, without a, a really a guy at quarterback like Kelvin Durham, it's a little hard to build your program, but they've already found that. So I think Fort Valley is definitely on that list. Another team, like I said last week, Albany State, I'll definitely put on that list. But Miles College, man, Miles College has continued to play very good defense and play at an extremely high level. Also, I really, I really thought that that team could play in the Division II playoffs this year. So they're going to lose their starting quarterback, Klein Peter. Uh, they're going to end up bringing another guy in, but that quarterback they brought in was a graduate transfer, right? So Coach Sam Shade is finding the guys that he wants to be uh, stars on this team. He's putting them in position and giving them a chance. I thought that Cam Ivory might start that quarterback this year, but they found Klein Peter in the summer, and they rolled him throughout the season. He led them to UAPB uh, and played very – I mean, played well against UAPB in a win against Alabama State. So – I see a lot in this SIAC, a sleeper team, of course, Edward Waters. They're going to have to figure out their quarterback situation. They did just lose Jaron Russell. They lost a very good receiver, and uh, Nathan Rembert just went to Mississippi Valley. But Edward Waters had a very good team last year, and after all of their guys were cleared at around week three, they looked like a really different team. So I'd be worried about Edward Waters. I'd probably put them as my dark horse. But my favorites, though, would be still Miles, Fort Valley, and Albany State. Hey. I love it. I love it. At least Fort Valley's up there. All right. At least you got Fort Valley up there in the top picks. And I and I gotta say this real quick before before we go. Y'all gonna show Fort Valley some love, man. Just some folks out there, because it wasn't enough talk about the beach bowl for me. And I know that folks feel a way about not making it. I, I totally get that. I can't say I would have felt the same way because it, it would have been what it would have been. You know what I'm saying? Cause like it's like it's work for me now. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like ah. Because I didn't think I didn't think Fort Valley would make it in general, not because I, I think lowly of my team. I just was like, I don't know if we're going to be the team. And I also really wanted us to contend for the SIC championship. And I know how I feel about the playoffs, but I would have preferred that we tried to make a playoff run after we were snubbed last year. We had definitely a playoff resume, although of course we did lose uh to Savannah State, and that ruined our hopes in, in 2022. But Y'all got to give Fort Valley some love. I, I don't know why folks are allergic to that. And I, I, I get the congratulations they won, but leave it at that. Don't be the butt. No, don't butt. Don't butt. Just, just, just give us our flowers. Let them boys celebrate. We got the, the trophy. We got the money. Like, and, and try to contend and be there next year. Or go to the playoffs. Or have a good season. Or go to the SIC championship. Or whatever. Okay, because like, it wasn't enough talk about the about what's winning the Florida Beach Bowl for me. So on on, on HC Post Radio, I'm gonna put my alumni card, and I gotta say that real quick, Flix. You know what I'm saying? Just saying. <laughs> You're 100 percent right. I haven't heard any talk about the Florida Beach Bowl since the day it happened. <laughs> like they keep playing, man. They keep playing. Like like we won the Florida Beach Bowl. Period. And I'm telling, oh, if if Tuskegee had won, oh, we'd have been talking about it. We would have been talking about it a lot. You know what I'm saying? If, if it was Miles, oh, if it was Albany State, oh, Albany State would have been talking about it, would have found a way to, to diss Fort Valley in their celebration. Like, but no, Fort, Fort Valley makes it. Now we're silent. Oh, now we're Randall in the media because Randall in the media now. I'm not a student no more. All right. I, I graduated four years ago. 
All right, December 14th, 2019, 11 days before Christmas Day, which is my birthday. Oh, I'm in the media now, boy. Oh, we got HBCU Pulse. We got 55.1 thousand followers. We got 5,000 on Twitter. We got a serious XM radio show and a podcast. Then we got the 25. Oh, y'all gonna stop playing with Fort Valley when I'm in the media. You know what I'm saying? Y'all better wait till I get another job. They better stop playing with me, Flix. Tell you. I mean, you should probably, because, I mean, like they alluded to, well, Scotty alluded to in the space, if this game moves to Division One, say, say, fan, you think they're doing it all. So, for Fort Valley, absolutely do it all. If this game gets any size bigger, you're going to feel bad for not going all in when you should have, because I think this Florida Beach Bowl is probably going to be end up here to stay. So, as the first winners, I want to say salute to Fort Valley. I appreciate that, man. Let's cover Durham. Made it happen, man. You already know Kevin Durham, your favorite quarterback, man, in college football right now. Listen, I got made it happen, man. Hopefully he stays put because always give that give that caveat. We know the transfer portal giveth and it and it takes away. And sometimes these guys aren't leaving just because, oh, I don't like my school. Sometimes they're leaving because of, I don't want to say a misconception because I don't think it's a misconception, but a bigger stage because they might move to the FCS just because they believe that, that that gives them a better shot to be drafted. You know what I'm saying? Or, like say, more money. Or they might move to the FBS. Now, they move to another Division II school. That That's a different conversation. Like I said, they move to another Division II school. It's like, why did you even leave, man? Like, there must be something different going on because you're not getting – like, what bigger opportunity are you getting going to another Division II school outside of going maybe to deeper in the playoffs? You know, that's all the thing, thing you're really getting from that because you're not getting – I know the culture – oh, culture's a bad word now. You're not getting culture. The HBCUs get get more media time, although we 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 have problems with the money allocation in the media rights. You see more HBCUs on social, more HBCUs on TV, more HBCUs on streaming, and then we we see an HBCU to NFL pipeline that has dried up a little bit, but it is indeed still there. As we see, you got Joshua Williams with the Chiefs. And he was at Fayetteville State, guy Emmanuel Wilson that's doing this thing with the Packers. He was at Fort Valley State and also John C. Smith. So you got guys out there. I'm just saying. So just for me, we really got to slow up, you know what I'm saying, and really like our conception around HBCUs. But at the same time, I understand it, and I'm glad those brothers, that they have the opportunity to make decisions that will further their careers. But Flicks. Man, this is a show, man. This is an amazing show. I uh, appreciate you stepping in as Ario could not be here, man. I really appreciate it. And Ario is going to be back really soon. We're going to recap the season the way that Ariel not only can, because, you know, we're going to have a good time. We're going to cut up. And I, I appreciate you all. But, Flicks, before we go, man, so everyone that can find you on social media, how we can support you as we move into the new year. Nice, man. Yeah, nah, thanks for having me on. Can't wait to see you guys back together, too. You guys are a crazy duo. But, uh, yeah, tap in with me on Twitter and Instagram, man, at Kelly Flicks. I'm also on YouTube, Lace Up Podcast Network. Got to get with me. And uh, this week, uh, I'm, been, I'm getting into recruiting, man. Early signing day is coming up. So my HBC recruiting records are coming out pretty soon, man. Stay tuned. Yeah, man, listen, just for HBCU Pulse, make sure to tap in on all the social media outlets. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're listening to the podcast and you're not scratching the podcast, help me out. Subscribe to the podcast, man. Because some folks are listening maybe for a topic and they want to subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, man. We're trying to we we trying to go crazy out here, man. We try we're trying to build this platform out some more, man. And just in general, just tap in. We're going to be talking about more generalized HBCU topics. Like we're going to talk about 
uh, you know, some college admission situations. We got some stuff going on in Congress that very well could hurt, you know, your wealthy H, your wealthy schools, and it might benefit your HBCUs. Do we have the infrastructure to prepare for that? You know, we're going to talk about maybe some NIL. We're going to talk about some other things. We might talk about some College Hill. Here's coming back. Like talk about some college ill, you know what I mean? So it's going to be some different stuff. Have some interviews popping up. We're going to have some different stuff that's going to be coming on. So 2024 is going to be really lit. So it might not be as sports focused, but it's going to be just as compelling. And it's also an election year. So if you're interested in that and yeah, you want to hear the real and not folks trying to get the other man back in because they needed a villain to sell their story, and listen, get a list of HBC Post Radio. Anyway, <laughs> but outside of that, listen, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we'll see you on the other side, and I'll check you out in 2024. Like what you hear? Uh, yeah. Subscribe to HBCU Pulse Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, head to HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to HBCU, HBCU Pulse, Pulse Radio. Radio.